I don't have regrets of jumping because I'm, I've never been so supported in, in my life before. I don't regret jumping, but I regret how I made people feel. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do, when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, we are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. You can reach out, hello, at suicidenoted.com or find us and message us on social media at Suicide Noted. I want to thank everyone, as always, for all of your support and listening to these attempt survivors since we started in July of 2020. Keep doing what you're doing. Let people know about this podcast. And you've heard me say this before. If you listen on Apple, leave us a rating or a review. It really does help. And I want to take a few moments to thank everybody who has left a review for us thus far. In July of 2020, Jaded Optimist and Growing with the Garden. In August, this nickname not taken seven. And Green Deanthus. In October, Gordon Cassetti and someone who is calling themselves XUTJGXKH, very creative. Uh, In December, end of the world as we know it. In January, Nate in Idaho. In February, quote, review of this podcast. In March, Tattooed Elf, and someone with the name of BWBSBA. And finally, this week, somebody who has a username that I cannot pronounce. There's a bunch of I's and K's and it's very long, but it doesn't matter. Thank you all very much for taking the time to leave a review. I appreciate it. Today, I am talking with Samira. Samira lives in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Samira. So, I got your email, right? And you shared some stuff with me mm-hmm. about what you went yes. through. Yeah? Yes, yes. You went through a lot. <laughs> yes. That's a hell of a story. Yes. Yeah. So the people who hear this, they didn't read the email. So I'm going to go back and if you're comfortable sharing about that. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And if I ask you a question and you don't like it, then you don't have to answer it. Okay. Good. You're in Ottawa? Yes, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And Samira's in a bed. Yeah. All right. So 
maybe this is a weird way to frame this question. Why are you in a bed? <laughs> I'm in bed because um, I had reconstructive surgery on, on my bed sore. So I'm only allowed up two hours at a time, two times a day. So I'm in bed for the rest of the day. So, yeah. Mm. And you shared with me that in the email mm -hmm. that you attempted to take your life. When was that? Early 2020? Is that right? Yeah. Well, January 27th, 2020. Yes. Which was the day before Kobe or the day after the Kobe? The day after. Yeah. The day after Kobe. You want to share what you, how you tried? Sure. So I jumped from a 10-story balcony onto the first floor uh, rooftop. So I jumped a total of nine stories. This is a tough question. It's a question that people aren't supposed to ask, but I'm not supposed to have this podcast either, I guess, and I do. Why'd you jump? Well, I have no memory of the day I jumped. Mm -hmm. So my friend actually got in contact with my other friends, the friend I texted before I jumped. And then I said, it sounds really stupid now, but I said, because I go to the, the general hospital, Ottawa campus, general mm -hmm. hospital. So I go there for psychiatric treatment mm -hmm. and I have to be followed by security because I threatened to kill a psychiatrist while I was psychotic because that's part of my other illness. Long story, anyways, go out in contact with security and the security was treating me very poorly that day. So it was a very impulsive thing. And I said, I feel like jumping because the way the security treated me. And then I just jumped and it was a very impulsive thing. It wasn't planned at all. The day before, I was totally fine. It must have mm -hmm. been something that happened on the day of. But you don't remember? No, I don't remember at all. Had you tried before then? Yes, I've tried a three or four times before that. My second most serious attempt was when I swallowed 50 mood stabilizers and I right. gave myself a couple of seizures. And then I remember one time I took all my pills that I had available to me and became unconscious for like a couple minutes and I ended up peeing myself. And the nurse woke me up and she's like, you peed yourself. I'm like, oh, thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> How old were you on your first one? I was around 19, yeah. And how old are you now? I'm 22, turning 23. It's been a rough few years. <laughs> yes, it has. Right? Yes. Wow. You know, I always ask this question. It's a tricky one. Like, it sounds like you are dealing with some mental health stuff, right? Yes, I have a borderline personality disorder, and I have schizoaffective disorder, which is a blend between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. But by borderline personality disorder is what made me jump. Because a part of the illness is reoccurrent suicidal ideation and gestures and plans and whatever, and impulsivity. So mix those two together, you don't have a very good, it's not a very good outlook. Right. So just to be, so borderline and schizoaffective. Yes. And when were those diagnosed? How long have you known that you had that and you're trying to treat that? When I was 19, I was diagnosed with bipolar one and, and borderline personality disorder. And then when I was 20, it changed to schizoaffective disorder. So, yeah, but I still had the borderline. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're growing up, you're in Ottawa, Canada, right? Yes. When you're growing up, like was your life, I, I don't know what the word normal means, but was it sort of, <laughs> sort of normal-ish? No, not at all. 
Well, my story begins about two years before I was born. In 1996, my father burned my mother alive. And she's still alive, but she has third degree burns on about 30% of her body. And she gained that alcoholism from that, from that experience. And she became an alcoholic. Mm. And she mistreated us as children in mm. our adult, into a, our teenage years and in our adulthood. Mm. And that's what made me become borderline. She was, she was abusive. Yes, she was. And was your dad in the picture? Oh, I've never met my father. No. So he burned your mom really badly, but she was still able to have children. Yeah. She had me. I was her last child. Yeah. Wow. And was that all, all that in Canada? No, it was in Yemen, um, in the Middle East. You're from Yemen, your family. Uh, my family's from Somalia, but uh, we huh? were born in Yemen, my sisters and I. I was going to guess Somalia, Ethiopia, or Eritrea. The <laughs> yeah, look yeah. that you have, that's sort of a unique look. Yeah. <laughs> Somalia, but born in Yemen. Yeah. And then you came to Ottawa, Canada. Yes. How old were you? Two. Two. So Canada's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that much about Ottawa, but I've been to Toronto and my, you don't care about my. Um, <laughs> all right. So you have a rough childhood, it sounds like. Yes. It sounds like we're like 18, 19, 20, 21 has been like figuring out what stuff's going on and getting some diagnoses and then also battling some demons and you tried a few times. Yes, yes. How many people like know about all this stuff? My family, my close friends and uh, the doctors and, uh, and people on Facebook. I, I made a video on Facebook uh-huh. and I put it on public so people can see it. And I got about 3,000 uh, views. So someone's listening. Yeah. Watching. Someone. Yeah. And what about like, so this most recent early 2020, you jumped. Now I know you're in bed today because you're dealing with some bed sores, but did you also write in your email that you can't walk on your own now, right? I can't walk at all. I can't stand. I can't walk. It's a part of the spinal cord injury. Yeah. And is that permanent? It's permanent. Yes. Okay. And your arms? One arm is paralyzed from the stroke, but um, it's, I'm gaining function. See? The left yeah. arm. And the right arm is okay. The right arm is fine. Samira, so what is it like to, well, I'm going to just ask, what's it like to not be able to walk? When I woke up from my medically induced coma, I, I thought I would get up and walk like out of the hospital, no problem. Because I saw people like the, the, who are bedridden and just walk up, like walk with help of rehab and stuff like that. So I thought that's what I was going to be like. But then I um, but then a rehab doctor came in about March. I spent six months in the hospital. He came in about March and he said, you'll be dependent on a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what? And I started bawling for like, I cried straight for two days. The nurses had no clue what to do with me. Nobody knew what to do with me. And the trauma surgeon came to visit me and he was just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. <laughs> no one knows how to Yeah, that's what happened. So you're probably not going to be able to walk. Yes. Yes. So how do you feel about that? I've made peace with it. Like I, I struggled with it in the beginning. I'm like, wow, I'm going to be, cause I wear a diaper. <laughs> TMI. I wear a diaper because I can't walk to the washroom. Right. So uh-huh. I, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to be in this diaper for the rest of my life. And I'm only 21 when I got injured. So I was like, Oh, and then I started to like, whatever. But other than that, I, I made peace with it. And, 
I'm not fine with it. I I want to walk, but it's not physically capable. I'm not physically capable of it. Right. Well, because I would imagine that when you were like a little girl or maybe a teenager, most people have like ideas of what their life is going to be like. Yeah. I mean, usually it doesn't work out exactly that way, but <laughs> this is a little bit different. Yeah. That's got to be like, yeah. Because definitely, I mean, in your situation, there's some things that you can't do. I'm not saying anything you haven't already thought about probably a lot, but with respect to working or family, mm-hmm. children, like there's limits. Yes, yes, there is limits. So when you say you make peace with it, that's a big thing to make peace with. Yes. That's not a small thing. Yeah. Not the same as me making peace with being bald, right? That's small <laughs> stuff. Yes. You're talking about big. So what is your mom or your sibling? How many siblings do you have? I have four siblings. Wow. Five children in total. Right. And you were the last, you're the youngest. Yes. So what do your siblings and your mom say about, I don't know, any of this? Like, how do they respond? My mom, uh, she's like, I'll pray for you one day. You can walk. I know you can. And she, she thinks I'm literally going to get up and walk someday. That's what she thinks. But I told her, no, it doesn't work like that mother, but she's praying for me. But me, I'm an atheist. So I don't really, I, I get prayers. I, Respect people who pray and, and have faith and believe, but I don't. So I don't really see the point of it all. And I, I just tell my mom, okay. And then my siblings were, they were very sad for me at the beginning, but I think they made peace with it also. Maybe not all my siblings, but but my my sibling sister next to me, she, she made peace with it and she knows my limitations. How often do they visit you? Oh, my sister's with me right now. Oh, hi, sister. <laughs> hi. What's your sister's um, name? Paduma. Paduma? Yeah. My brother, the, I told he was in prison when I told him. And I told him three months after the fact that I jumped. And then he's like, he broke down. And he's like, wasn't your mother in the house? What was she doing? Why didn't she save you? I'm like, it wasn't her place to save me. I was unsavable at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just told him that it's not anyone's fault. It's It's not my fault because I was sick in the mind, you know? So it's not no one's fault. It's through no fault of their anyone's. No fault, no blame, but you are where you are. Yeah. And you don't believe in God. Atheist. No. I would think that it would be, maybe I'm wrong here, maybe a little bit easier had you believed in God. I would yes. think being an atheist is really hard in this situation. <laughs> yes. My friend who's very close to me, the one I texted last before I jumped, she's very Christian. And she's home. Do you still, do you, are you still an atheist? I'm like, yes, I'm still an atheist. What did you yeah. text her? Do you remember? Uh, no, but my other friend read it to me and it said, I was triggered by the security guard and I feel like I'm going to jump. That, that's mean, what I said. So you, yeah, that's so, but your mind blanks from the memory, but you jumped and you jumped, right? Yeah. Hmm. And you're in a, and, and so where you are right now, is that a long-term facility or are you going to Yeah, be, long-term care home, yeah. So you're not, are you going to leave at some point? Or do, you have, do you need to stay there indefinitely or do you get to go home at some point? No, I don't get to go home. It's, this is my home. <laughs> is it nice? Yeah, it's one of the better long-term care homes in Ottawa. Yeah, they have really good food. I ate fried chicken today. You had fried chicken today? <laughs> All right, you're not a vegan. You might be an atheist, but you ain't a vegan. <laughs> How do the other patients treat you that are there? Because you're all in some ways kind of in the same, situ- not the same situation, but long-term care, right? Yeah, I'm the youngest in the whole building. There's three buildings to this uh, 
this long-term care home. I'm the youngest and it's <laughs> it's kind of isolating to be the youngest in anywhere, but um Yeah. But I I, I like the people around me and they're very supportive of me and they, they I can talk to them whenever. Yeah. What what kind of stuff do you do or are you able to do like day to day? What do they provide or what's your what do you do? Oh, what do I do? <laughs> I don't do anything for myself except I because I'm my I'm left-handed, but the hemiparesis is my left arm. Mm. So I can't use that arm. But I I'm regaining strength and uh, uh coordinates in my right arm. So I had to relearn how to eat and drink and everything. So mm-hmm. I'm still learning. I can manage with a spoon by myself, but with a fork is a different story. So they basically they shower me, they dress me, they they sometimes feed me, but I can feed myself most of the time. But um fried chicken. <laughs> yes, fried chicken. Why did you I don't know how we found each other. I don't know if it was through the Facebook group or maybe Sherry. Yes. What, right? Sherry. Yes. I think most people in your situation would not want to talk about it. I yeah. I don't know for sure. I just think most people would be like, nah. I don't think so, uh, but you're not like them. And I'm wondering, like, why do you think that is? What compelled you to want to share more with whoever hears this? Well, to me, my story is like a tale of caution. So I want people to know about my story because I went to the hospital for more than two dozen times in a span of two years, like mostly for suicidal ideation. And they did nothing to help me. I was like, okay, but they... And then look how I turned out. So I just want people to know and understand that I don't want them to turn out like I did. Whew. That whole conversation about mental health care. And I was yes. going to say in the United States, but it's probably not just the United States. Mm-hmm. It also issues in Canada and probably yeah. most places. So when mm-hmm. you say they didn't help you mm-hmm. and you went many times, what did they do or what didn't they do that you might have needed? Do you know? They never hospitalized me once for being suicidal. So except one time when I took the overdose on the mood stabilizers, they just took care of my physical health. And as soon as the mood stabilizers passed through my system, they're just like, okay, you're good to go home now. Go home with your family so you don't try to kill yourself again. Like, right. The first time I understand that. Mm-hmm. But not the second and the third and the fourth. And then on and on. Yeah. But they kept doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So if somebody's hearing this, like it's tricky because they can't control what hospital they go to or how they're treated, right? Yes. So what do they do? And I don't know if you have an answer. It's just more of a conversation. Like what the heck should they do? I don't have an answer for that, but I have an answer for what the, um, like a healthcare professional should do in, in those circumstances. I think yeah. healthcare professionals should uh, look at the emotion the person is expressing behind their symptoms and and respect that you know what i mean i do the cynic in me doesn't believe that's going to happen yeah yeah but you know it sounds it's like telling people like you should listen mm-hmm. like we know we hear it all the time but we don't really do a very good job of it yeah and so it upsets me it is it is upsetting yeah yeah, I don't know why I would have thought Canada's system was any different than ours. People here, we think really good things of Canada. 
we think you guys are like a better version of the United States. So I was hoping to hear that maybe in some cases, the mental health system is a little bit more progressive or empathetic or something, but I don't know if that's the case. And you're in Ottawa, which is the capital, right? Yes, capital. You like it there? Yeah, it's nice. I like it. You big Senators fan? <laughs> uh, not really. Rough, what's the I'm football not a team? hockey fan. Rough Riders? Oh, Isn't is it the, the football team? I think that's the CFL team, right? Uh, no, they, it's the Red Blacks now. Okay. You, are you a fan of theirs? I'm not a fan of sports. Nothing. <laughs> I don't know if it's what did or do you like. Like, what's fun? I love music. Like, mm-hmm. listening to music, not playing music. I can't mm-hmm. play the music for the life of me, but yeah. listening to music, I, I'm i a person who feels deeply. So, mm-hmm. from when I turn on music, it's just me and music and it's like it's like i don't know just another type of feeling yeah what are some of your favorite either genres or bands or musicians top five oh i like guitarists so probably Uh Jimi hendrix uh john mayer buddy guy probably but i also like the rolling stones they're my favorite band really all right so we're going back sometimes we're going back a few decades Yes, yes. I love the Rolling Stones. Really? The Stones. Okay. What about the Stones do you like? I actually like Keith Richards. He's also real. Well, they're all old. It doesn't matter, but they're good, <laughs> right? They're... Yes. But he's he's uh, he's like a blues artist at at his core, so I like him the best. Yeah. Ah. All right. Do you know this is really irrelevant? I don't know why I'm circling back to this. I've taught English as a second language in a few different countries. Yes. And um, I actually spent an academic year in Saudi Arabia. Okay. And I ended up meeting a number of, I guess you'd say Yemenis. Yemenia. And there's no story there, uh, Samira. I just wanted to share that. (laughs) I was, I was, I wasn't that far from the country where you were, uh, where you were born. That's funny. Yeah, and I ended up spending a little time in Tanzania too, which these are not close places to Somalia, but it's weird how people's paths cross and who knows how, right? Yes. So you like music. You've made some peace with your situation. Yes. You were treated for your mental health stuff before this, right? With with yes. medication, I assume? With antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, um, antidepressants, yeah. Are you still on those? Yes, I am. You still take them. So the fact that, so that doesn't change that whole part of it. No. You're still dealing with that stuff. Yes. Man, where do you find the strength, Samira? This is <laughs> not what most human beings have to deal with. <laughs> I use humor a lot, yeah. um, which gives me strength. I, I laugh at myself all the time. I laugh at the fact that I'm in a diaper. I laugh at the fact that I can't walk. <laughs> can't turn off my own lights like i just laugh at that like it's not it's dark humor it's not for everyone <laughs> sure well you're into the blues yes i mean it's like i'm getting a vibe here dark humor the blues i never know exactly how people respond or when they hear it occasionally someone will reach out right and be like hey i like your podcast or whatever but I, I have no doubt that people hear this it is not just what you shared about hey cautionary tale but I mean, just the fact that you, I'm guessing you don't want pity. No, no. Um, 
but it is astounding. You know, I'm sure you have your bad days and I, I'm, I do. I do. Right. Right. I don't expect, right. I don't think you're laughing all day, every day. No, um, but it's, it's amazing to hear it and even like see it a little bit. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe you're faking the smile, but it seems sincere. <laughs> no, I'm not faking it. <laughs> no, my sister was like, how do you laugh? If I was in your situation, I wouldn't laugh for five years. You would think that, right? Yeah. 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 Could I share to... like the list of my injuries and yeah. and illnesses uh, that I sustained through the jump? Because I, I shared with you, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I that... want you to share that. And then I also like feel free to share anything you want. But of course, share it, please. Yeah. Okay. So when I first arrived in the hospital, I went through hypovolemic shock, which in my case was shock from severe blood loss is when you lose 20% of your blood or more, like through internal bleeding. Yeah. And then I went into cardiac arrest for 12 minutes. And then I had respiratory failure with hypoxemia, which is uh, respiratory failure with lack of oxygen to your lungs. And I had a hemothorax, which is a bleeding lung. And then I had a hemorrhagic stroke, which is a stroke from bleeding out. Wow. So, and then I had a traumatic brain injury, which, which landed me in the medically induced coma. Uh, it was, it's called a diffused axonal injury. It's basically when your brain accelerates and decelerates in, in a fast motion. So that's what happened when I jumped, my brain went shook and then, yeah. Yep. So, and then I severely fractured my pelvis. I shattered my heel bones mm. and broke my elbows and my ribs. You don't know how you and landed, right? I'm I'm suspecting I landed on my feet because I shattered my heel bones. How did they find and you, and a spinal cord injury, which is the right. most right, which is the reason yeah. why you're not able to walk. Yes. Right. T12 injury, yeah. thoracic yeah. spine, uh, twelfth vertebrae is where I lose partial sensation and movement. Yeah. So you don't feel it. You don't feel anything. I feel I partial partial partial. I feel I can feel it, but I feel like half a touch. I don't feel a full touch. How, who, who found you? I jumped, right? And the people on the floor saw me jump. Right. On the ground saw me jump and they called 911. And my, my mom came out and saw my body like on the first floor, rooftop of the first floor. She's like, she started freaking out. They made us gesture like they called like a, a phone and they said they called 911. And they said to, for her to come down. And she came down without shoes, without a headscarf, without everything. Like she was just, in complete shock, she was screaming. She yeah. must have never heard her scream like that before. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. And how did the sister who's in the room with you? How did she respond? She was in shock. She didn't believe it because, because her partner was like, if someone fell from the tenth floor, expect them to be dead. I would right? think so, right? And my sister was like, she, she was just in shock. How'd you feel? <laughs> I don't know. My sister's right here. I didn't believe it. I was completely yeah. She didn't believe it. Yeah. She didn't believe it. I live in Toronto. In Toronto at the moment when that happened, my other sister called. And I didn't believe it, but I packed my things and I took the train down. How far was that? Uh, four, four hours. Four hours. So that must be a really weird, long, difficult train ride. Yes. It was. But I was in denial the whole time, actually. I said, no, she didn't. No, she didn't. <laughs> when, did, when did you believe it? When I saw her body. <laughs> All hooked up in all machines and all just, machines, all yeah. these machines, like this chest tube, probably a ventilator, the, all these machines just 
and I was in the ICU for three weeks. Yeah. And this is over a year. This is more than a year. And I'm calling yes. you. I'm calling you sister. Uh, <laughs> sister comes often. Yeah, she does. That's cool. Did you move there to Ottawa? Uh, no, I still live in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like your family's gone through a lot because you had mentioned that your brother was in jail for a while. Yeah. Like, it sounds like you guys have, all of you have been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom, she has PTSD from what my dad did to her. And then she, like, relives every day. She has nightmares of me jumping. And she relives it every day. And she she tells me, I can't close my eyes because every time I close my eyes, I see your body falling. So I compounded her PTSD pretty severely. So, yeah. I don't have regrets of jumping because I'm, I've never been so supported in, in my life before because I have a physical therapist. I have like occupational therapist. I have like three doctors, more than that, like a plastic surgeon or, or, or neurosurgeon, right. orthopedic surgeon. Like I've never been so supported in my life. So I don't regret jumping, but I regret how I made people feel. Right. And where are your other siblings? So I know sisters here. Yes. And my two sisters are in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And my brother is in uh, Quebec. Did the family and the siblings just be like, we want to live as far away from each other as we can? I mean, you're all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> like, did you, there's no one in Vancouver. Why not? Like, you wonder why? Or, or like uh, Nova Scotia, what's going on? No, it's just that my mom's drinking was impacted us very severely. And we couldn't live with her anymore. Like to the point she would start fires in our room. Wow. She would, she would pour bleach on us. She would, she would do the worst things to us. And oh, we couldn't get any sleep. And when I became manic the first time, because I have schizoaffective disorder, right? When I became manic the first time, I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I need to sleep. And then I resorted to threatening the doctor because I couldn't sleep. Because that's what my mom used to do to us. She made us, deprived us of sleep. So then I was just like, oh my God, I'm not sleeping. I need to sleep. And you know what? It's so embarrassing. Don't ever do this. I Facebook messaged my doctor. <laughs> my psychiatrist and I was like I can't sleep help me sleep what did you give me you give me these nasty drugs and now I can't sleep because they gave me antidepressants and anyone with a tendency towards bipolar you don't give antidepressants to because that makes them manic Mm. right so then I was just thinking in my head omg I can't sleep and I ended up going in the hospital like at least like three three or four times for that mania that manic episode and I was hospitalized twice for that episode yeah, I'm really I'm glad not- that you told me not to do that to FaceTime my doctor because I was very close <laughs> to doing it. So thank you for that piece of advice. <laughs> With your conditions, did, yes. did you have delusions? Yes, I do. I do have delusions. So you like- dealing with everything. <laughs> you're dealing with mania, ups and downs. Yes. Delusions. Hallucinations. Hallucinations. What else? Disorganized thinking, disorganized speech. An abusive mom. Yes. yes. Lack of sleep. Yes. Um, if I'm if my if I if I'm understanding the scenario, by the time you're like 18 or 19, you're probably living alone at home with your mother and the siblings are gone. Yes. For better or worse, I don't know, but like that changes the dynamic, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, you gotta wonder how you're even alive. It's astounding. Yes. Like, so do you think, I know you're an atheist. You think it's all sort of random or there's some reason that you're still? I, 
okay, I don't believe in God, but I believe that there is a reason I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's to share my story to help better the mental health system in some way. I don't know. That could be it. Yeah. Does your sister have any thoughts on why her, why Samir is still here? Sister, uh, sister, speak. <laughs> is it my turn? Um, we could have a whole separate podcast know, with just you, sister. I think honestly, the way she shares her story and brings strength to other people when they hear could be the reason. Mm. Like people here don't even pity her; they just they're in awe, first of all, mm. and then the way she has self-awareness and perspective of what she's going through and her surroundings and she's able to articulate that in such great words is beautiful and i think that's that's what you're you know blessing this world with yeah yeah mm. yeah no i don't want to get that right. no, no, you want to say hi <laughs> you know what sean i will can you see me yep you got your mask on because i know COVID, I right yeah I have to wear this and the goggles, the mask. Why the goggles? It's <laughs> COVID goes through your eyes. You contact it through your eyes. In Canada, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Samira. Yes. Another maybe weird question. I ask everybody this question, by the way. Yes. Do you think you're going to try again? I'm too disabled to. <laughs> to That's a honest, very honest answer. I, That's an honest I answer. Yeah. I can't even open a bottle of pills to swallow. I can't, like nothing, walk over to a bridge, nothing. Right. It's limiting. <laughs> when you've posted stuff on social media, especially social media, mm-hmm. it sounds like mostly it was positive. Yes. Yes. Do you ever get people saying the really stupid stuff? The stuff that you're like, you got to be kidding me, you jerk. Yes. Actually, I have two stories to share with you. One yeah. is when I was in the neurosurgery floor getting my surgery. I was recently. And I told this um, PSW, like personal support worker at the hospital that I jumped and she was like, so it's your fault. Ugh. And I looked at her like, what the hell is your problem? But I said nothing to her. I was just like, okay, bye. Like, I, I'm not good at speaking up in the moment. So I, I just let her go. People say the darndest thing, man. And then there was this one lady, because I, I, when I was in the hospital for six months, I had a spine brace, right? Like um, a plastic spine brace. And um, she was like, what kind of accident were you in? I said, attempted suicide and she just shut up the whole entire ultrasound she just like then said no word to me <laughs> yeah and I, and I was just like okay this is awkward people freak out samira they do weird stuff when you mention that word some people right. don't even say the word they'll say like the s word <laughs> or they'll say nothing they can't even say it yes exactly for everybody else in the world who might have somebody in their life who's struggling whether it's the degree to which you were struggling Mm-hmm. Well, just not even like, well, we don't have to measure or compare because you said a cautionary tale, not only to the people who are struggling, but to the mental health care. What about pe- like my brother's in a lot of pain, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what would you say to the people uh, who are supporting people? This is also a good question for sister as well. What do they need to know? And again, they might, they might have full use of their limbs, but we're just talking about people in pain, right? Yeah, any kind of pain, yes. Any kind of physical, non-physical, all of the above. Who are supporting them, right? Yeah, or trying to, yeah. I say recognize the emotion behind the symptom or behind the overreact. Because I overreact. I'm the queen of overreactions, as you can tell. You don't seem like you're overreacting. Isn't that also, um, and that might just be who Samira is, but isn't that also a borderline thing as well? Yes, yes, it is. 
but uh, I say recognize the emotion behind the action someone's putting out. So if you recognize the emotion, you can deal more sympathetically with with the person. Yeah. There is a presumption, though, that people can recognize emotion. Yes, yes, I know. Now, between you and me and sister, <laughs> people can't typically recognize emotion. Mm-hmm. Do you know why that is? Most of the, I feel sadness is turned into anger when someone does not know how to cope with sadness because sadness is a harder emotion to deal with. Yeah. But um, it's turned into anger and people don't respond well to anger. So, uh, yeah. story of my life, Samira. <laughs> you know what's also interesting? I don't think like we. I don't know the this this school system up in Ottawa. Uh, I think it's important that we learn math and write literacy and history, mm-hmm. yes, and science. Well, we don't yes. learn about it, not here. So it's like, oh, well, of course we don't know how to recognize it. We don't learn it. Exactly. Yes. We don't spend any time doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with that, but. What's the word? Can we make up a word? If you can't read, we call you illiterate, right? Yes. If you can't do math, there's actually a word. I don't know if it's math or logic. It's called enumerate. I just know this word. It's enumerate. It's a great word. Yes. Can we make up a word? I don't know if one exists where if you can't recognize emotion, what is that called? Like We might just create a whole new word here. Emo ignorant. (laughs) Emo ignorant. I'm writing this down. I'll give you credit. <laughs> I love that. Emo ignorant. Man, I'm going to even check if the domain's available. Emoignorant.com. <laughs> Your whole revolution. So, Samira, what else? On my low days, I think they could have stopped compressions because I went into cardiac arrest. They could have stopped compressions at the seventh minute or the ninth minute, but they went on to save my life. And did compressions for 12 minutes. But every time I'm in my low mood, I think, oh my God, I could have just died and had known peace, but I didn't die, you know. Because of that. Yeah. Well, Samira, you are awesome and I thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad we had a chance to talk and that you were so open and honest. And of course, to sister. Oh, I'm holding the iPad. I'm the tripod. Yes. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Awesome. You rock. Thanks again, Samir. I really Thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. All right. Stay well. Stay well. Bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Samira up in Ottawa. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Hello at suicidenoted.com or social media at Suicide Noted. If you'd like to help out this podcast with a financial contribution, one time or ongoing, check out our Patreon page. That information is in the show notes. There's a few different membership tiers. We would so appreciate your support. That's all for episode number 47. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.